This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking Mule Deer. This is Jody Stemmler. We are talking Mule Deer at the 2019 SHOT Show. And I'm Steve Belinda, and our guests right now are from Federal Premium Ammunition, Mr. Ryan Bronson and Mr. John Zinnel. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Now, you may recognize John Zinnel's name because um, previous to his uh, move over to Federal Premium, uh, John was Mule Deer Foundation's Youth Programs Coordinator for quite a long time and, and helped to launch the Mule Deer Foundation's Muley program, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I spent uh, about five or six years there with the organization and, and working to get the Muley program implemented in with the chapters and, and uh, get it off on a good start. And now it's just grown from there. It's, it's an amazing deal. It is amazing. Isn't and it? if you read the jacket of the magazine, the small print, you'll notice Ryan's name, and it's really small print because he's <laughs> on the board of directors of the Mule Deer Foundation. But I think alphabetically I'm first in the board of directors, so I'm at the top. <laughs> there so. you go. You know, we've all got something. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so Ryan is on the board of directors for the Mule Deer Foundation. And, Ryan, you also are very, very active on a policy level with a number of conservation organizations as well. So thank you for your leadership and all of that. Happy to do it. Uh, I've had six good years on the board of the Mule Deer Foundation. It's been a good time. Yeah, well, we appreciate your service. So, guys, we have a couple of different things to talk about today because, John, I know you, again, coming through Mule Deer Foundation and you're the youth programs. Federal is taking a tremendous leadership role on youth, uh, youth engagement, and I know that I, uh, my daughter um, has shot through a 4-H club, and I have seen your name on things coming through my 4-H my, my list, and I'm like, I know him. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your youth programs and initiatives and what you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. So Federal's been, been around and, and involved in the R3 programs far before R3 was really a, a term that was you know used within the industry and outside That's the industry. recruitment, so, retention, reactivation, yep, right? Ab- yep. Absolutely. So uh, so like you mentioned, the 4-H program, we've, we've supported the 4-H and we're actually at the table when the 4-H shooting sports was founded. So we've been there with our longest standing uh, partner. And so we do a lot of different programs with them. But uh, one that you mentioned was a, a sales program that we're able to support local organizations, 4-H shooting sports, competitive clay target shooting, the NRA, um, a lot of different uh, CMP rifle teams and that type of deal where we can get ammunition to those kids um, and their parents and program leaders so that they can go and practice and go through the programs and, and become successful um, shooters. And, and uh, eventually wildlife conservation is tied back into there through multiple organizations, including the Mule Deer Foundation and the Muley program, where we try to tie that together and, and give them a next step. So they may come into a, a youth shooting sports organization and get the opportunity to learn about about firearm safety and learn about participation in that um, and then kind of pass it on to the conservation side of things where you know the Mule Deer Foundation can come in with the Muley program and they can talk about you know the wildlife conservation and the the things that are affecting the west and you know migration corridors and all sorts of different things and uh, kind of tie it together and and pass it on for that next step. Outstanding. So um the obviously one of the the things many of us know about is the Pittman Robertson Dingle Johnson, um, the federal aid and wildlife restoration program, which is based on excise taxes. And I seem to remember a year or so ago, so amongst your brands, you guys. 
that's a big part of what you have to pay into and are very proud of your role in, in supporting state wildlife conservation efforts. Tell me a little bit about how that works within your programs. So Federal was founded in 1922, so we existed for 15 years before Pittman-Robertson even became an actual thing. And, it, you know, it's an 11% excise tax that we pay on all of our ammunition products that we sell commercially in the U.S. And it, our average in Pittman-Robertson tax payments over the last five years has been $85 million a year. So and and I'm, I'm picturing you right now with your finger up to the corner <laughs> of your mouth, million dollars. I, I kind of wanted to do it, but that seemed pretentious for the podcast. <laughs> well, considering it is a podcast that you're listening to, not watching. Um. <laughs> right. So, you know, the, the Pittman-Robertson Fund has really been the underpinning, the, ba the financial backbone for conservation, for, you know, since 37 when it became a thing it's what's enabled state wildlife agencies to protect their license fee dollars because they're commingled with those federal funds and they can't be used on anything else and one of the cool things about Pittman Robertson funds is even when there is a uh, government shutdown like was what was experienced earlier this year the federal aid is still there because it's a permanent fund and it's allocated and so those those offices are still work, working through that whole shutdown um, it's really a fund that was so smart when they put it together because it, it's been protected from Congress from raiding it for other things and it protects state, state governments from trying to raid it and use it to pay for roads or education or health care it can only be used to pay for conservation and hunter education and shooting range development we're the largest taxpayer uh, in the industry of that tax uh, together with our sister company Savage Arms uh, CCI and Spear so we're proud of that. We're pretty protective of that because that fund is so valuable to what our state wildlife agencies are doing, which are important for our business long term. And the partnerships with organizations like Mule Deer Foundation and all the critter groups that are, are working with state wildlife agencies, helping spend those dollars so that we've got habitat on the ground. Hey, we're happy that we're the ones who write that check. Um, but we also want people to know we write that check, that the, the money is coming from the firearms industry. We think that's important because when people, political forces are trying to restrict gun ownership and, and, and gun use, you're also hurting our whole conservation system. Absolutely. And, and, and so that's something that hunters and shooters have rightfully been proud of, but may not fully have understood exactly what the implications are and, and how that affects. I mean, that is, right. you are, they're paying the tax because it's passed through in the price, but you're really actually the ones that are writing the check that yeah. goes out to the state fish and wildlife agencies. And, and every, not every company, but the majority of gun and ammunition companies, all of the gun and ammunition, but majority of companies here at SHOT Show participate that in as well. That's how we fund. That is our part of this North American model of wildlife conservation that so many of us are so proud of. And, and I think it's important. So thank you for explaining that. Well, and that leads to the importance of keeping that user pays model intact and actually getting back to something you said earlier, John, is uh, the recruitment, retention, reactivation is because we will not get that money unless folks are continuing to purchase the product that right. the excise tax is on. And so, Ryan, let me ask you this. I know that you've got a, a, a background in policy. You've worked in politics. How often do, are there attacks on the PR trust fund dollars? And what kind of involvement do you guys have with the states on what's appropriate to spend either on a yearly basis or every time it comes up for renewal? 
Uh, you know, direct attacks at trying to go after the Pittman-Robertson Fund are fairly rare. What usually happens is when a state government gets into financial trouble and they see this pot of money called federal aid, uh, usually in state budgets, and they'll try to get it. And it usually doesn't take very long for the Fish and Wildlife Service to write a letter to that state and say, well, if you do that, we're going to take away all your federal funding and well, and not just that, but it pay us back exactly. There, that's back. usually a a letter that comes that says right. it's not just that you're going to lose that money, but all the money that we gave you that are match dollars for the programs that you're funding into that mean, and and it comes to even more with not just rating those funds, but what the state is actually going to allocate back right. to do those match funds. If they're going to try to divert those monies, um, it, it, it becomes a, a, um, a recognition that, oh, this is not just going to cost us these dollars. It's going to cost us about $2 million more or something like that, which they right. certainly can't come up with that it's, much. It's a big stick. And so I think the last time it came up, uh, New York State, there was there was an effort to try to go after it. Oh, well, Montana, we're dealing with it right now for our game wardens, uh, funding for our game wardens. Uh, the, the legislature wanted uh, upwards 50, 60 percent because they saw the money, the budget situation. Yeah. Director in the department stepped in and said, you can't do that. They compromised, I think, on 20 percent last biennial budget session. That means our wardens were actually not working on law enforcement issues 20 percent of the time because that wasn't an appropriate use of PR dollars. And now I just read the other day that they're they're back at the trough trying to get more of that money for the warden's cost. and. I think that 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 effort needs to be uh, put to rest mm-hmm. because of the, of the consequences of that. So. I think as an industry, we're, what specifically for the gun and ammo industry, the things that we've wanted to change about Pittman-Robertson in recent years is to enable states to be able to spend a little more of what they get on shooting range development. Because when we look at who pays uh, the majority of the taxes that go into that fund, it's target shooters. Yeah, so the critical habitat for shooters is shooting ranges. Right. And so having more ranges would generate more shooting, which would generate more tax, which would generate more conservation. So that that's our thought. So as an industry, we've tried to create more flexibility, but not mandate that states, you know, have to spend it on that's more on That's the PR ranges. modernization bill yeah. that's come up. And, you know, yeah. I think there was some ability to, to, to buy – Pen raised birds for hunter recruitment and retention in there. I remember hearing something about that recently, but yes, why well, I don't remember. Somebody in the West proposed that. I, I think most of us would agree that that's probably not an appropriate right. use of Pittman Robertson. The whole the whole intent is to create habitat. Well, living in a community that does not have a shooting range, mm-hmm. I would really love to see more of that money going towards shooting range development because. It's crazy. We go out, and there, there's a couple ad hoc ranges, but we don't have a proper range, so it's really tough to go shoot or, you know, when we do hunter ed or when we go to sight in our guns or to go shoot. We don't have a formal. Mm-hmm. we got to drive an hour. Well, and, and it, that goes back into our recruitment, retention, right. reactivation, right? So if you want to try to get well, – it takes a hunter to make a hunter, takes a shooter to make a shooter – if you don't have a place to go, it's really hard for you to invite somebody to go along with you. And I know Colorado has uh, invested in and is building a huge facility out in the Western Slope. Um, we also have uh, 
have a, a facility down near uh, Pueblo, um, um, I'm sorry, Colorado Springs. And, and those are places where people can go and shoot, on, you know, and not privately run facilities, which are fine and they're, and they're fine, but there, there's other opportunities. And again, take a hunter, take a shooter, make a hunter, make a shooter. Oh, absolutely. And that's a big, you know, it's a challenge when he talks about, you know, the, the R3 programs, whether it's through conservation organizations or these youth shooting sports programs is, you know, when they're, some of these programs are running 10, 20, 30,000 kids through, some of them even more than that, where you're talking the hundreds of thousands of kids are, are getting the opportunity to participate in shooting sports and, and they need a safe place to be able to do that. And so it's a challenge and, and traveling around to, you know, various states and, and regions, you'll find a lot of areas that have a lot of private clubs and so people look and say well gosh there's a lot of shooting clubs there a lot of ability to go there well not all of those private clubs you're able to go through if it comes to be you know a deer season for example and, and having the the opportunity to go and sight in and really go through there they push you through and you get five rounds and they say oh yeah you can hit a an eight inch circle ten inch circle and we got to move the next person through so are you really getting that opportunity to to be able to take your kids out there or or be able to supplement and, and have a program to where they're actually you know truly being able to get there and learn the skills that they need to and uh, to be successful yeah absolutely and if you're going to do a 4-h program or a boy scout program i mean you need a facility yeah those kinds of programs and just liability but comfort level for parents they they want to be places developed ranges their safety issues and you know we were pretty protective of of maintaining the ability to shoot on blm lands and things in the west but we're, you know, we're seeing conflicts that pop up, and the solution for those conflicts is to have, a, you know, berms and shooting ranges that, you know, contain designated bullets. Designated places. Yeah. Yeah. Designated places. Places where, you know, there's facilities where you can pick up your brass and that you're not going to dump garbage out there and shoot up the shoot up the. Uh, it's remarkable that people do that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the thing I like about shooting ranges is when I was younger and trying to learn more skills, Every developed range I went to, there was always a couple folks hanging around willing to teach you yeah. because that's what they did. They, they hung out there. They shot there. They were looking to impart their knowledge and skills onto those of us that were looking for it, particularly if we weren't very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they must have spent a lot of time with you, Steve. Well, if you've ever shot with Ryan, <laughs> uh, yeah, you need to spend a lot of time out there because he'll, he'll school you on the – on the on the trap range and on the five stand and the other stuff, it's uh, it's a remarkable. It's humbling. Yes, well, <laughs> very humbling. So it it helps to work for a, uh, a firearm and uh, ammunition manufacturer. Well, you would think, but you know, <laughs> f- finding time to get to the range is always <laughs> the challenge. For all of but, us, yeah. But John Zinnel's a heck of a shot too. Yeah. In fact, he is he has uh, coached a lot of young people. In fact, one of the one of the young shooters that he's been developing is actually on our pro staff now and is a competitive shooter at 14 with, I mean, he shoots 200 in a rows. And yeah, he's, wow. a, he's 14 years old. When he first started, I remember him, you know, coming out and he was knee-high to a grasshopper wearing his Carhartt, you know, and shooting a, a, a hand-me-down 20-gauge pump, and now he's shooting a, you know, $9,000 shotgun and pumping through 35,000 rounds a year and wow. traveling to seven states. And What's know, his at, name? At uh, Grayson Stewart from okay. Salt Lake City, and he uh, – you know, at 14 now, he's a, a three-time All-American, and so his goals that he set when he first started and, and hit the age to where he could start shooting competitively, um, he wanted to be the first one ever to be a five-time All-American sub-junior shooter, and so he's on three of three right now, going into his fourth year now and and, uh, and setting the tone and, and just doing a great job and shooting and, and 
just the, the development that he's gotten through the shooting sports and the people that he's able to meet. I mean, you know, I, we traveled around all over the place and we'd go to a shoot up in Billings, Montana or Reno, Nevada, or even here in, in Las Vegas and, and take the opportunity. And, and him, his dad would look over at me and be like, well, do you know where Grayson went? I was like, you know, I don't. And we'd look around and he's, he's in the clubhouse, you know, shooting the bull with all the old timers that are in there going through and doing that. And it was, it's, it's so great to see him. And he's such a personable person. And you see that so much with those development programs and the opportunity to, to go through and to learn that at a young age and really go through and, and uh, have the opportunity to, to travel around and to meet those people like you were mentioning, Steve, on going to the range. And, you know, if you have a question and, and, or a concern or something's coming up or, you know, want to talk, you know, calibers or optics or whatever, a question, if you're getting prepared to go on your first antelope hunt or mule deer hunt or, or anything like that there's people out there and and that's a big part of it you know is to is to learn by that and to to share those experiences okay so we are at shot show shot show is when a whole bunch of new products are launched and i know for sure that federals had a few of them i was talking to your guy jared on the uh on the range day the other day do you have anything specifically that you know of that is going to be a um, little bit on the game changing side for mule deer hunters that mule deer hunters should be aware of well, I think probably one of the biggest things this year um, on, on our, the big game side is that we are bringing back the Barnes triple shock bullet. Okay. Uh, you know, so we started loading Barnes copper bullets back in the year 2000 and did for a long time. And a few years ago, um, you know, there were some changes in the industry and, and we, we stopped loading them for a few years. We've got, we still have our trophy copper bullet. We've got our, our, uh, uh, power shock copper bullet and we now have the barnes triple shock back in the in the lineup so we had a lot of people that became very loyal to that bullet and i think that they're pretty happy that uh they're going to be able to go to the store and and buy their favorite load again um so that that's one of the things we've we've uh brought back the acubons across all of our our lineup so the nozzler acubond is a bullet that uh, uh we'd let drop up from our lineup but it's it's back and available again and i think probably one of the most exciting things is uh the new caliber that we came out with last year that we're coming out with some new options in the 224 valkyrie which is a really cool caliber it's a, a it's a screaming fast 224 bullet that we're able to achieve you know long for long distance shooters it, at 1300 yards our bullet is still supersonic you know, high ballistic coefficients. It can shoot out of an AR. Savage is now loading uh, or building a, a bolt-action rifle for that caliber. So there's a lot of excitement behind that that new caliber, and we're 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 excited about those things. Those are probably the big. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Sav it's a it's a 110 Prairie Hunter is that model in the 224 Valkyrie for a bolt gun, and uh, they also came out with a new uh, model 110 High Country. Um, so that's going to be in a whole array of uh, of calibers right now. They're they're run it in the 6.5 Creedmoor, which obviously is a very popular caliber, um, and that one having a, a spirally fluted and, and having the bolt all done, and so it's a real lightweight option to be able to go through with their with their new stock. And so as far as the mule deer hunter, you know, I think those things are really going to be a, a popular one. And, and on that, you know, in the West and, and anywhere for that matter, you know, when you talk about a lot of those mule deer hunters and, and elk hunters and deer hunters and so forth are, are out there and, and participating in predator hunting and those types of things. Primos came out with a new um, e-collar. They've relaunched a whole new model and, and structure through there. And so you'll start to see those 
um, hitting the market now too, and that's just a, it's an amazing product and, and excited to get it out there to all those enthusiasts too. So Savage and Primos are sister companies of ours that are all part of the, the greater Vista Corporation. Gotcha. So, so. Well, and, and Savage, I know last year you came out with your AccuFit stock as well, and I know that's launching into a, a number more calibers and different, uh, different you know, uh, gun formations too, mm-hmm. but that is allows for women, kids, shorter stature, taller stature, higher cheekbone. It's a pretty cool innovation for yeah, sure. Yeah, abs- absolutely. So you're able to, to go and have that, that firearm and, and by taking out a couple screws, you're able to adjust, you know, that length of pull so you can go from a, you know, a, a small stature or a 10-year-old or 13-year-old or whatever the case may be all the way up to, to somebody that's a little bit larger frame to where they can use that same gun and have those modifications without having to go to the gunsmith and, and having it done. So that's a huge thing for, for everybody that knows that, you know, wanting to have that, that rifle to, to fit you correctly is, yeah. is a very important deal. Well, here's the other thing that's important, though, for, for people with federal. The packaging is going to look different on your mm-hmm. your shells, on your rounds now, right? Uh, because if I'm not mistaken, you rebranded some of those and you changed your packaging. So so it's important to look. And, so the and blue that. box won't be the... Well, it'll still be blue, but okay. it'll it'll look slightly different. But we've changed the colors on our on our on our premium packaging, so it's gold and black instead of the old red and gold. Uh, so it'll it'll stand out in its. Uh, our logo has been tweaked slightly. Look, John and I are the conservation guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're not to product guys. <laughs> we're, we're not. You guys mo- have some bang up PR guys. I know that, but <laughs> we do. And, well, JJ Reich is the best PR guy in the. We've industry. heard that. I heard I've that heard a couple that. days ago. It was a, an amazing proposition. Good job, JJ. It's carried yeah. on. I will yeah. agree. Yeah. We need to get him on the On Gravel podcast as well. I think. But, yeah, we should. Uh, so it's that packaging changes are it, it's not always first in mind for us but we think that our new packaging is going to make it a lot easier for the consumer they're going to find the caliber the grain weight the bullet style they're going to know all of those things um, for those folks that are in california for instance that need to shoot non-lead we've we've got a, a lead free button on all of our california approved loads so it'll be easier to find them um, now uh, that'll be pretty much all you can find in California, <laughs> for, you know. Now, Maybe. now on the conservation side, what is there anything new on the horizon <laughs> that Federal is going to be getting involved in that you see is going to be taking up a lot more of your time, Ryan, or anything that's exciting, John, coming from your angle? Um, well, from my angle, you know, I'm working uh, with the council to advance hunting and shooting sports with their R3 implementation. So they've they've got this big master R3 plan and working with all the state agencies bringing in the conservation organizations and all these youth shooting sports and and they have the plan and it came out several years ago and now they went back and found out well now they're trying to figure out the the issues with implementation right so everybody's kind of gone off in their same direction and so what can we do and and come together so we've built a whole committee that that has state agency has NGOs has industry representatives to be able to talk about those things to to move everybody forward together right so we're all marching to the same drum we're able to go out there and then share information right so the muley program that that's going out there so it doesn't matter whether it's a a muley program in arizona or something in wyoming is able to share information and data of best practices with you know say a a qdma or pheasants forever or another critter groups doing a program in, in georgia or minnesota or iowa to share that information across the board and to open up those doors and take down the walls and work across the lines and really participate together and i know you know when we were really launching that muley program that was a big deal was to just not come in there and reinvent the wheel not go in there and build a a brand new all crazy good youth program but to say hey 
Let's, let's have some structure. Let's have some, some opportunities to bring our chapters into the fold and open the doors to those other local, you know, conservation organizations that are there. So it's, it's not just coming in there and running everything as Mule Deer Foundation and the Muley Program, but it opened up the door for other organizations, state agencies, you know, those local shooting clubs and organizations there if there's not a, a big public range or a facility there to go and do it. And, and uh, it's, it's been successful. I okay. mean, they're running tens of thousands of, of kids, and, and not only kids, but bringing the family as the aspect yeah. into it. I think that's a big, important part. So I think from the policy side, the last couple of years, the big things that we've been working on is protecting public lands. And frankly, with the new new configuration in Congress, I think some of those attacks on public lands are, gonna, are not as big of a deal. Uh, I think it's less likely for them to get uh, traction in Congress. And our focus really for probably the next two years and in, in, in into the future is, is gun rights and Second Amendment things um, are going to be pretty critical for our business and for conservation as well. So I think that's not that, not that we're going to stop being defenders of public lands because we are champions of public lands. Right. It's critical to our business. But I think the, the higher priorities for us is protecting gun rights for the next two years. And longer well excellent thank you guys for the time you do thank you also i know uh federal and, and vista and are big sponsors of the western hunting and conservation expo so thank you for that and all your support and your hard work in the past and for the future for for mule deer foundation and our members thank you for taking your time today yeah, thank this you guys. jody stemler saying goodbye and i'm steve belinda until we talk to you next time thank you for talking mule deer thanks for talking mule deer with steve belinda and jody stemler the Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.